welcome to the first ever part two of a Y Hockey podcast. You are seeing this a day later than you're seeing part one because these topics are a little less time sensitive, i.e. they're not Panthers Flyers discussions that are based on the game you just saw. But there are other topics we wanted to get to. As you said, it's been three weeks, so a lot of stuff has happened. And I wanted to get to a couple of interesting topics that have bubbled up in that time. And one of them, if you've listened to 32 Thoughts, if if you've read Ryan Lambert, they've talked about this, which is the idea that very soon it looks like when you're done with your Canadian Major Junior eligibility, when you're 20, that players are about to be able to go to play NCAA hockey. Now, there are a lot of reasons why this is interesting. There's a whole broader context of what's going on with the NCAA when it comes to amateurism, when it comes to NIL, when it comes to employment. That's not for this show. Go listen to Split Zone Duo or other places if you want that information. I highly recommend it. But when it comes to this, Tommy, I want, because you're the draft guy, it changes a lot as to, I mean, really everything in junior hockey at a ton of levels completely changes because if you have played in world uh, in a in the junior leagues in canada the o the the o the q and the the dub you're not allowed to play ncaa hockey and so if you want to play ncaa hockey you have to do what kale mccarr did and play in the uh was he in the alberta junior league or the bchl i can't remember which but backland celebrated did something similar because he wanted to play college hockey right you know all these players are now taking different pathways, I think, to get to either the junior path, if you want to go down that, or the NCAA path. But, as someone pointed out, very importantly, you only hold a player's rights if they're playing in juniors for two years, and it's four years if they're in the NCAA. So, the way teams draft, if this rule change comes into effect, changes completely. And the entire structure of junior hockey across North America changes if this happens. And it really does look like it might happen. So I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Uh, I mean, in theory, I'm fine with it. Like the idea of, oh, because they are, they played in the CHL, they're now professional athletes and aren't eligible to play in the NCAA. I don't agree with. However, I don't I think it's going to be very interesting in the first couple of years of this rule change if it would go through you would be having a lot of experienced 20 21 year old kids coming in as freshmen for college to play 4 years to 25 uh the league would probably get better the league would get a lot more physical a lot more chippy uh, and you'd probably see a lot less true freshmen, true guys that are 18 years old, turning 19 years old in their freshman years. And uh, I think you'd, you'd eventually see less draft picks uh, playing college in their draft year or the year after their draft. Uh, they'd probably go to CHL or something. This would really hurt the USHL, I think, Um because, uh, you know, the USHL is the best, I think, league that exists with college eligibility. If you can play a couple years in the CHL and then go to play college, why wouldn't you go do that? Um, I, if, 
I mean, unless you're local, I think it's going to hurt the level of skill in the USHL because they've gotten a lot of guys who would go CHL um, if they could. Uh, and the same so with like just, these, the junior circuits, like what's happening with the Alberta Junior League, the BCHL, yeah. like yeah, I mean, you you will see that impact, but I think the 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 biggest two leagues that would feel the impact is the USHL and then the NCAA, um, because you're going to get different types of players uh, in the USHL. The USHL is basically going to turn into a tier two pro junior league again instead of a tier one. Um, and I don't even know what the Horseshoe and the BC and like all those leagues would end up being. S- someone made the, uh, uh, the point that it would basically become feeder for D3. Now, if you don't know what D3 is, like it is college hockey. Like you've got D1 and then D3. And like that's for I've known players who play in, in, in the D3 leagues. And they're, they're not bad, but it's a different level of like it's a different level of the sport where you get a lot of you know players from other kinds of junior leagues you've legitimately never heard of filtering yeah. up to that. Like, those players, sometimes you get D3s from there, sometimes you get club players from there. Um, it, it would really fundamentally reorient a lot of how the junior flowchart works. Now, would that mean a bunch of U.S. players are then going to say, hey, when I'm 16, I'm going to go play in the OHL or the Q, and then I get drafted out of there, You'd still see players, I think, leaving those leagues early enough to go play college hockey, depending on, on some of them. But I, I do agree, like, I don't know if you'd ever really have, you know, the Macklin Celebrini types who are instantly saying, I'm going to play in college, and then they're going to play their draft years in college. Like, I, I do think you get that sometimes, but not all the time. It's going to be a harder league, because you will be playing, I mean, in the CHL, at most, you play 21-year-olds, maybe 22-year-olds, I can't remember. 21. Um, and in college, they usually top out at 23, 24. I mean, there's like a 27-year-old in college hockey this year, but yeah, yes. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, when I, like, the... And it, the the age of college hockey players to start freshmen have started to come down. It was a little higher when I was playing, because you would just have more kids. You know, it wasn't there wasn't as many kids going straight into uh, the the college. Because I mean, usually still, in the junior leagues, even the ones you've never heard of, you can play in those leagues until you're 20, and then some of those kids, yeah. if you're really good, maybe you go to you know, a lower level D1 school. And if you're not, you're playing a yeah. D3. So a lot of those kids are going into D3, say, at like 20, right? Yeah, but but uh, there's been, I mean, I there's been a lot more guys who never sniffed the NHL who play college as an 18, 19-year-old freshman. Guys I played school with, uh, you know, or played at schools that, you know, I played with or played against, came from Philly area and stuff that get to play D1 school, D1 as a true freshman or just only with one extra year of prep school. And I don't think that would be the case anymore. I think you basically would eliminate those types of players. Those types of players would be going to prep school and then the CHL or juniors and, you know, CHL. And then then instead of coming in at 18, 19, they're coming in at 20, 21 as freshmen because that's how you'd have to get in. Because you'd see college hockey become a lot older. Yeah, you would. You would. Because, I mean, these guys are, are you know, you're going to have guys who've 
played four to five years of junior hockey, lived it, been at the rink every day, or, you know, I, I, it's, it'd be interesting. I'm not, I don't, I don't honestly have an opinion other than there's a lot to think about. And I hope that they're intentional about what they do and that they are thinking about the implications, not just at the NCA level and the CHL level, but you know, Downstream elsewhere. Too. Yeah. I mean, this is going to impact USA hockey. I mean, this is going to be impact prep school. This is going to, this would impact a lot. Um, not saying impacting things is automatically bad. You know, there's a lot of things that are impacted and changed and you get improvements out of it, right? So, you know, maybe this at the end of the day is better and leads to better hockey players, a more equitable uh, uh, more equitable landscape. It would, for, I, I for think players. what it would do is it, it would make college hockey older, just and again, I don't follow the junior stuff as much. That's a Ryan Lambert. That's a Jeff Merrick. That's the draft guys. They would know more than me. But to me, it, it I think it would raise the age of college hockey. You'd get a lot of guys who don't necessarily have an NHL future, but are pretty good college players. They would stay until they're twenty three, twenty four. So if you were one of those players, like a Macklin Celebrini, who was going to college and specifically said, "I want to play college hockey in my draft year." you know, because we know he's going to go pro next year where whoever drafts him, like, you'd then start to get, you know, a 17, 18-year-old in draft years if you were going to play in college against 22, 23-year-olds. You, you, you're going to get men against boys. Now, about how many players is this going to affect? Is it just going to be still your next Macklin Celebrini? Cole Iserman kind of, you know what I you know what I mean? Or somebody beyond him. Yeah. Like, does that change the dynamic of that like how does this change the junior circuits like because does this affect one junior circuit over another because like if you've got a lot of these players who could end up going saying hey you know are they going to go to the Ontario League mostly because it's closer to home or some of them can play in Michigan uh would some of them go to the queue if like they're Massachusetts you know what I mean like or West Coast does that mean you now you funnel up to the WHL like does it mean that we now basically only get, you know, North American players drafted out of these kinds of leagues? I, I don't know. It's yeah. just a fascinating topic to me because I, I can see why NCAA coaches would want it because now you get older, more experienced players and the quality of the game is going to get better, I think. And it's going to get deeper. Like the quality level at D1 would get better because now you have a lot of players at the junior level who are playing like Canadian college hockey. You know what I mean? Like, they're now going to go play in the U.S. They're going to play at a D1. You know, you're you're not playing at BCBU, but your other schools like that, right? And that maybe trickles down to more D1 hockey programs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think, I don't know if the top of the top is going to get better, but I think the... The uh, middle and the lower tier gets better. Yeah, and I think, I think the, you're going to have a more polished player entering college usually college it's like you know they're known for polishing a player right they come i still in, think they you would see right. that but you wouldn't see yeah. it in the same sort of way and as i said the junior the canadian junior the major junior would get better like they would definitely get a level up yes. it's just the yes other circuits that would have problems but and you i know, don't know how and you know work. chl is fighting for this because 
the Americans are getting better. <laughs> yep. And the Canadian goaltenders are not. Yeah, yeah, that that's a good so, point. But a, and a lot of Canadian players are skipping juniors and going to college hockey. Like again, Celebrini. Yeah. So Fantilli. Well, we, I and mean, Fantilli I, did that too. Yes. So yeah. what does this mean then? You know, it improves the CHL. It's, yeah. In a way, like it, it all is out of self-interest, but you also have to think about the downstream implications of it. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, so I wanted to bring that up because it's an interesting discussion and it's something you're going to start to hear more about. And it, again, it also changes how you draft. Like if you're drafting somebody out of the CHL, you now have two years of eligibility and they can't go to the AHL. But if they now have NCAA eligibility after that, are you now going to encourage a uh, drafted prospect to play one year, their draft plus one in the, in wherever junior, and then play a year in college? It would all, again, it changes how you draft. It changes the development curves for prospects. A lot can change if this happens and it would be fundamental. So it's something I think we need to think about because like, you know, in a Panthers example, Mackie Samuskevich, he played two years in college, I think, right? Two years in Michigan. That makes sense. But then if he was, you know, in this world where you could go to the, you know, go, he might play in the Ontario League for a year or two and then go to Michigan. Like, how does that change his draft stock? And how do, how do teams want to funnel those players? Like, you know, if you've got a later round, you know, and remember, the, here's an example for you as, we, as we'll transition to another topic I wanted to discuss of the many. Like, what does this mean for the Dryden Hunts of the world? You know, you're overage players who score 100 points in the, you know what I mean? But they have no NCAA eligibility, so you get signed as a undrafted free agent, and then you become Dryden Hunt. Like, what does this mean for the Dryden Hunts of the, you know, that kind of player, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. What yeah. does that mean? And that, that yeah. also is really interesting. And then NCAA free agents, like, do you then get more encouragement from teams to leave earlier and not finish out your college eligibility because now i mean is it different when you're signing a 24 year old college free agent as opposed to a 22 year old college free agent there's a lot of thought that would have to go into this and i'm clearly not capable of that but it's something i wanted to bring up on this show because i know you would have thoughts about it and there are a ton of interesting layers to it that affects again pretty much every level of junior hockey in North America and prospect development, plays, pipelines, things like that. And it, again, it also affects the D3 level. It would affect the club level. And a lot of people play at D3 and club level that you've never heard of, but still definitely care about hockey and are playing for the love of the game. And it affects them too. So downstream effects would be pretty massive. And it's definitely something worth thinking about. We also want to talk about Speaking of changes to hockey at a more global scale, we have international tournaments to talk about. Now, on your, I know sometimes you lean into the conspiracy theory aspects of it, and I, I get that. That's, you know, it's a little bit of fun we have here. Um, I didn't like, the, you know, when sometimes they announced it. Sometimes it's just it, facts. Sometimes it's just facts. When we saw on the day that Robin Doolittle put out her story in the Globe and Mail that players were going to be charged in the Hockey Canada scandal. We also saw at the same day the Utah expansion letter that was probably pre-approved by Gary Bettman. And I didn't believe that that was, you know, oh, they're burying the news because there's no way they would have known the Robin Doolittle story was coming. Um, because Why the wouldn't, NH they? wouldn't they be asked for questions? The NHL, Comments? 
I, I don't believe I, I don't believe that because the story like that, the way a journalist would do it is you don't you don't alert people that a story like that is coming. Maybe somebody in the league caught wind, but I doubt it. And they also the way I know this happens to be the case is that this was an embargoed press release that was sent to reporters the night before it was released and nobody knew the Doolittle story was coming the next day. So anyway, continuing on, if you wanted to believe that people in the NHL didn't want you to think about hockey, the Hockey Canada scandal uh, on All-Star Friday when Gary Bettman had his press conference or Thursday, whatever day it was, time is a flat circle, announcing the Olympics, that they're going back to the Olympics, that I might buy that they wanted to bury the news because I didn't yeah. expect the Olympic news to come during the all-star break. I, the four, four tournament face-off thingy that I did see, but everybody knew that was coming. The Olympics that had been quiet. They always release bad news around good news events. Well, yeah, I mean, yes, but I don't think some of it is as coordinated as you think it is. No, 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 no. I think it is. I think it's coordinated with the, I think that you're hearing about the, the London police stuff and the investigations around the all-star event for a reason. I do. I do. And I, I don't think it's, I think you, I think it's silly not to think that these organizations that cover up these scandals a pretty, pretty adeptly aren't adept at orchestrating calendars and understanding that we have these events and we and we have to do bad news dumps just like on Friday on boring Fridays at you know evening we'll do dumps or whatever we'll we'll do bad news dumps at All Star games at this and that because then we can immediately bury it with because they always pair All Star games or events where everybody's there with news with news so you can always stir something up and it always just looks like oh yeah they were gonna do this anyway. They were going to do this anyway, but that's why they always dump their bad news around that time. That's why they always have, you know, they talk about the rule changes or the governor's meetings or, you know, the cap salary caps and all this stuff, because it's a time where they can control the narrative very easily and flood anything out that they want. Well, the good news is that we all still definitely talked about the Hockey Canada scandal as we should have. Anyway, yes. but yes. on the subject of international hockey, and 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 the subject of international hockey, I was surprised that there was no talk about uh, why did it take so long? Uh, do you, was it a mistake not to go back or anything? It was just wow, it's so great to be back. Blah blah blah. I think that, some of that is because. We all know why they skipped Pyeongchang, because they don't care about South Korea, which, stupid in my view, but they didn't care about South Korea. And part two was, they actually were legitimately concerned about COVID and China in 2022, and they had a bunch of games that they didn't expect to have to make up, that they had to make up. Yes, they also didn't want to send the players, I understand that completely. Yeah, I, see, see, that, that's, yeah. I, I, they don't have the benefit of the doubt. They, you it don't is get the benefit entirely of the fair for you to think that. Yes, and and you like and there is no good reason to not have NHL players with COVID. There isn't a good reason. Sorry, they they played their stuff. Anyway, we are going back to the Olympics in Turin and Turin yeah. Milan. Excuse and, me. And 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 they're making it a rink, and it's going to be the NHL proportions, and the NHL got everything that they were going to get last time, and they still didn't come. 
What's different is they just they've gotten enough back pressure that decided. But well, I mean, it was written into the collective bargaining agreement. We've lost how. What was written into the collective bargaining agreement? That the players are going to go in the Olympics. It hasn't stopped get Bettman from ignoring things in the collective bargaining agreement before. Well, the difference, I think, here, and again... He pulled, he pulled the COVID China thing. When, if if I'm CBA wrong, at that time? it's on recording, so you can cut it and cite me and tell me I'm an idiot, and I've been an idiot before and will continue to be an idiot in the future. But announcing it when they did, how they did really gets me to thinking like they're actually going to go to this one. I, I mean, I think they're going to go to this one too. I I just don't think, I don't care. I, so what? They, they're going back to the Olympics. Who, like, we knew they were going to, we knew they should have been, and they've never apologized and they haven't done anything to make up for the fact that we lost two Olympics with ridiculous talent. Ridiculous talent. Just like I've, I've, we've never really heard. They, this league treats its fans like dirt. They expect them to get kicked, and mistreated, and get the short end of the stick, and and get overcharged for a lesser product than other sports leagues, and just take it. And they do. And and it's because we talked about the conformity conformity and being a good teammate and all those culture things that seeps into the fandom too. And that allows them to just take these bad TV deals and, and all this stuff. We got a, we got a worse world cup of hockey. How did that happen? How did that happen? Seriously? I don't understand. The four nations face off does nothing for me. It's it, like, I mean, it's cool. It's better than an all-star game, but it's literally like, is it better than North America versus the World All-Star Games? Probably not. It's probably equal. It's probably the same. And at least that was over in a weekend. I'm sure this will go on for like two weeks or something. It's going to fit in the same All-Star Game window. But can I make a point that I thought about with this Four Nations face-off that... I, 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 I'm not defending it, but I... I have a different opinion. Hockey's on for it. everybody if you're from these four nations and have money. Well, hockey is for everyone if you're a nation that has its entire roster to be filled by NHL players, so the NHL could control all of this stuff. Which I do agree with you. You but, can they've worked around that before, haven't they? And when they worked around it for Team Young Guns and Team Europe, Team Europe was still, came in second, and Team Young Guns sold the most merch and is the only thing people talk about when it comes to that tournament. And they took those two ideas and they tabled them. And they took the underperforming teams from that tournament. Come on. Team, team Europe did have only NHL players. Yeah. You can do a Team Europe again. You can do a Team Young Guns again. You can do... You don't have to just do a Four Nations. That was something they chose to do because they have no imagination and they like I, I, I don't like we're being we're being instructed to applause the bare minimum by a professional sports league that generates billions of dollars and says they want to grow. Oh, congratulations, you're doing the things you should do to pad your own pockets. I I I I I, I, I don't care. It's, I really don't care that you're that they're going back to the Olympics after Barkov's thirty. Cool, cool. I'm so pumped, dude. 
my only point about the Four Nations face-off is, now, if it was just this, and the Olympics were this nebulous, we might go, we might not go, I really wouldn't have said, this is nothing. Like, this, this just doesn't scratch, it's not real. It's AstroTurf. Now that it is essentially a preview of the Olympics... But how does going to the Olympics make doing the Four Nations event lesser than the event that they already ran because they didn't go to the Olympics better? How I don't understand how it polishes that turd. No, what I'm saying is, to some people, like, I like the full World Cup with North American Team Europe better than this, obviously, but when they planned on doing it, they didn't really, like, they were going to do it in the summer, apparently. Uh, but to me, now... Now I can, the NHL is not going to market it this way, but the way I can view it and the way some people will view it is here's a taste, like a little, it's, you know what this is? You know what this comparison is? I hate this and I really, I really do hate this. It's the FIFA Confederations Cup to the World Cup of you the mean, Olympics. You mean the thing they invented to give Messi some more trophies? Cause... Argentina never played in the Confederations Cup. No, what's the what's the stupid what's the fucking con some stupid I mean the con in, in the Copa America is real though no, that's definitely real, um but no 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 the uh, calling this the confederation super real super matters it's super matters guys it's definitely more important than the Champions Leagues he doesn't have uh anyway. Let's, um, uh, but so, yeah, uh, so there are your thoughts I, I, on international like, hockey, everyone. I, like I want international hockey, but this isn't international hockey, you know, and the, and the Olympics, maybe we get, and again, you say it looks like, like you're still couching it. Even you who are, who are more optimistic and less conspiratorial than me are couching it because you know, it's not a done deal yet. Things can change. It's a long way off and all it takes is for the NHL to pull the rug out from under the international hockey community or its fans, which they love doing. They do love doing that. The other comparison I saw somebody make to this, was, I like the Confederations Cup metaphor. That one was better than the other metaphor. But the other metaphor somebody used was the She Believes Cup in women's soccer, which is a Four Nations tournament that changes usually. It's got the U.S. and it's got other teams. And it's fine, but like those were nothing more than glorified friendlies. And the Confederations Cup is designed as the preview event for, you know, the upcoming World Cup, which they did for many years, and then scrapped yeah. it. So, yep. like... It's, like, what do you... Like, the Czechs... Czechs... Czechia... Slovakia... Uh, Anze Kopitar... They should just all fuck Germany's off. not in it. Switzerland's yeah, not Leon in Dreisittle's it. Yeah, Leon Dreisaitl's not in this. I know. And, and we're supposed to just be like, oh, great, clap. No, 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 I'm not happy with like, this I mean, event. I'm less unhappy with it than I had I, been. I think the NHL, if the Panthers weren't good, it would be my third favorite league. Behind Formula One and, and like, all of football and, like, FIFA entirely. And that says something. Because, like, it is just pitifully run. We're getting the Blackhawks in the Winter Classic again. No one cares about Winter Classics anymore. No one cares about the European games and schedules anymore. They don't even market them that much themselves. Uh, you know, this Four Nations crap. The Olympics are far off and may still not happen. And even if they do happen, we're getting back what we should have always had. 
That's not an improvement. That's not progress. Where Where's the growth in Gary Bettman's NHL? It is, I mean, already the ESPN deal is not aging well as far as money is concerned and revenue and things like that. So, One other know. topic before we wrap up this proceedings of the rare part two of a Y hockey show is there have been transactions and coaching firings that we wanted to talk about. Um, I was in with family members getting ready to go to my family event when I checked my phone and Oh my God, Patrick was now the head coach of the Islanders. Yeah, that was funny. I mean, you figured someone was was going to hire him soon. How much better at this is a, again, better in scare quotes, would the Columbus Blue Jackets being if they decided to just hire Patrick Waugh instead of Mike Babcock, you know, or doing Pascal Vincent, even or if they Pascal just went Vincent, from Babcock yes. to Patrick Waugh, because they could have still done that. Because they, they um, Vincent seems pretty, pretty bad right now as uh, well. The Blue Jackets are terrible. Um, and he's made some incredibly stupid decisions about who plays center and who doesn't. Uh, who sits and who doesn't, who goes to the AHL. David Juracek is not very happy with his lot in life right now. And he's not the only one. So, I mean, I, I think the Columbus Blue Jackets are being rung by the NHL executive office, it appears, with the same clown shoes decision-making. Uh, but, I mean... Yarmo Kekalainen, is, Panthers European head scout. Is, is, <laughs> yeah, right. Is Patrick Waugh going to turn things around on the island? No. But it's also a lot more exciting of a decision than you expected from Lamarillo, from the Islanders. Uh, and the way other coaches' changes have gone, there's some hope there. Uh, but anyway, that team needed life. And the playoffs is still there for them. So why not make the change? I thought Lane Lambert... Uh, I didn't really think much of Lane. Do you know what the craziest stat was that somebody brought up? It might have been Jack Frazier, somebody else who obviously is plugged in with internal models. Like someone said that an internal model of an NHL team had the Islanders with the best goaltending in the NHL and the worst defense. Yeah, I mean that that matches a lot of people's eye tests. I went like that's the thing. And I think that's what got Lane Lambert fired and what made Lamorello go get somebody like Patrick Wall was that if you were an Islanders fan from Tavares' day to now, you at least knew your team was going to have good team defense, limit opportunities, and give your team a chance to win. That's not happening anymore. And they don't have any star power to get there. Their only star power is Patrick Wall. Like... Well, Barzell and, and Horvat are tier two stars. Uh, that's not a star. A, there's no such thing as a tier two star. A star shines brightly and is noticed. There are different kinds. They have we have red dwarfs and different kinds of stars. Okay, and, in, yes, in the solar system. But I'm talking about well, like, in, in the universe. But whatever. you know, then then you know, who would be the NHL equivalent of a neutron star? Let's not go into that. But like, you know, what what they are is not stars. They're top of the lineup players that doesn't mean they're stars i think the panthers have a couple stars but not but they also have a couple top of the lineup players who i would take over barzell right now as in sam ryan's i don't think sam reinhardt's a star but i think he's a top of the lineup player he's an all-star by the methods that they do which oh my god 
I I'm I'm at least happy there's no more All Star game. I can't take this stupid. Everybody's an All Star, but there's going to be ten All Stars from two teams, uh, and you know the voting and these skill competitions, and you know I don't really care that McDavid won. I don't care that they figured out a way to just give him an extra million dollars. Hey, what can do you want? Can to I do? make my one joke about the All Star game before we get back to Patrick sure. Waugh? Uh, I was going to make a Jimmy Finkelstein, the guy who paid himself $900,000 to be the editor-in-chief of The Messenger that made $3 million in revenue when he sunk $50 million into. Uh, I was going to make that joke. Then Sean Gentile uh, of The Athletic, great writer, Marilyn Terrapin, of course, extremely important <laughs> to be a Marilyn Terrapin. He then just put up a picture of Dick Cheney, and that's all you needed to know. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. he made a funnier joke than me. He he definitely did. Yeah, I mean, like... Um, anyway... They- on Patrick Waugh, I I mean, they played the Panthers right after the coaching change. Uh, they looked bad in that game. But then they did beat the Maple Leafs, which is mildly amusing. But, I mean, but the, the, the roster's bad. I it mean, is like, not it's very not, good, yes. It, and it, what was holding it on was that they were playing good defensive. So now that they're not, like, I think Patrick Waugh is going to play out the string and rebuild the Islanders in the offseason. I don't think... Th- but there was always a chance, and there still is a chance, at least you know through the trade deadline, that if they catch fire, maybe they get a wild card spot. I mean, maybe if you have the, other... the goaltending that they have, and they do exactly. have great goaltending, and you play with a modicum of structure, like any at all, you do yeah. have a chance. And I do think that there is a little bit more on that roster than you're giving it credit. Not a lot, let's be honest. I mean, it's all old guys. No, but... but, I mean, not enough that you're th- like, I mean, what is there? Well, as I said, I mean, I, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, Brock I Nelson's, like Horvat. I, I like, I like Barzell. Yeah. Nelson. What, what is Horvat to you? Is he, is he, a, do they have a number one center on that team? I think Matt Barzell is a low end one C in this league. Now, how I, far I think, are you going to go with a low end one C in this league? Well, not, you're not on, winning the Stanley cup with, that. I mean, I don't even think you can go to the playoffs with that. I think that... Oh, like, they did last year. So... I mean, with the defense. With the team defense. With the goaltending, really. And, yeah, with goaltending and team defense. Their that team was, defense was, was a lot better that, last year. That was year. the thing that concerned me last year, was they got superhuman goaltending, and they barely made the playoffs. They were the first wild card yeah. in a down year. Like, I agree with you. I don't... Th- I think Matt Barzell on the bet... on a Barzell on is making $9 million. Is Barzell a $9 million player? No. Bo Horvat's making $8.5 million. Is Bo Horvat an $8.5 million? Maybe. Anders Lee, $7 million. No. Brock Nelson, $6 million. No. Gene Gabriel, G- Gabriel Pajot, $5 million. No. Kyle Palmieri, $5 million. No. Pierre Engvall, $3 million. Maybe, probably not. That's a lot of money for a bunch of guys who do nothing, who, who you know, would not be – they'd maybe be the sixth forward in the Panthers' top six. And they're getting paid more than most of the guys in the Panthers' top six. Oh, well, well, you put it that way. <laughs> like, that's what I'm saying. Because, like, you, you, it's not inside a vacuum. You, no, you no, have, of course like, not. They have to build a team to win the cup. They have to build a team to at least – attempt to win the cup if that's what you're arguing under you have three forwards out of 13 that i would keep and two defensemen who would they be three defensemen 
I would probably move Pellick just to get something back, but I would be keeping Pulak and Dobson. We're getting a lot of Noah Dobson for Norris Love, which I don't yeah, really Yeah, understand. he's good, and the Panthers could have drafted him, but, you know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> previous draft him for free. Previous um, previous regimes. Um, but I, I just think Patrick, I really want to see the energy from Patrick Waugh because we all remember his first tenure. And what was really funny is, like, as I'm dr- getting putting on a suit, I'm going and, and remembering, because this happened when we were all on Twitter in 2013-14, that Patrick Waugh Avs team, Nathan McKinnon's rookie year, Varlamov was the goalie, that was the team that taught everyone what PDO was and why it was important. Because they were on a bender that year. Did they? Or did they? Or did everybody take the long, wrong lesson from it? Because I still don't think people know what PDO is. And I still think people misapply PDO with that team. Because I think there was a lot to like about that team. Like, if you look at the... Yes, they weren't going to repeat it. But they didn't get lucky. They played that way a certain way. And it's kind of like the Islanders. They can play a certain way, but they can't do it consistently enough to bank on it year after year after year and to be like, this is the team we're building around. Just like that avalanche. Like, you knew Duchesne, the way he was to play, like the way kind of player he was, he couldn't do that again. And, you know, but the Panthers, I thought, you know, had the same thing, but people at least understood it a little better, even though they didn't learn the lesson. But it wasn't repeatable, but that doesn't mean they weren't doing the right things. And that's why I get so triggered by this. Well, because I understand. The, Th- that is a good way of putting it, yes. But the, but the quote of, we do, the things we do, we, the things we do well leads to a high PDO got panned. Panned. People still make fun of that quote. But it was true. That was actually true. That was actually a better way of thinking of PDO. The things that they were doing right now, they were doing well and were leading to a PDL. That That's true. Even if you can say, well, it's not repeatable because they're not that good of a team and this, that, and another thing. Same with the Panthers in their, pre- in their, in their PDO year. They were a great team, and it all came together, and they weren't going to repeat it. But that doesn't mean they couldn't still have a good year the next year in a different way, and they did. Mm-hmm. Because they... That's a good point. They, they, they weren't going to do the same thing. So they weren't going to repeat it, but that doesn't mean you can't be good. Being good isn't what they were repeating or unable to repeat. You know, you know, I do uh, get what you're saying, yes. But I, I, I'm, I'm excited for Patrick Wall. I think it's, it's going to give something new and exciting. To me, I think the New York and the Metro is the most – boring division and they need something and if that's patrick Waugh, i'm happy for it but i can't believe the rangers are good the devils have a bunch of young players and are playing an exciting brand of hockey and new york hockey is boring to me i can't believe it but there is no like you know the devils are floundering you know the the rangers are kind of ho-hum and Laviolette's whole thing is not having chaos, not having, you know, kind of just being a standard. We just go about, do our business and go home. And, and you know, but New York hockey is not supposed to be boring. Whether good or bad, it should not be boring. Only the Devils should be boring. By <laughs> yes. Um, yes. But when the Devils aren't, when the Devils are trying to not be boring, 
MSG, when you watch hockey on MSG, it should be fun. Uh, you know, Buffalo sucks. Like, everything about MSG, New York hockey, New Jersey hockey right now is awful. And they definitely came in the year thinking that they were going to have a very exciting year, rivalries, all of this stuff. And by the time the Devils are going to play their outdoor series, very likely all the wind could be out of their sails. It's just, it's, it's, so I'm, I'm so into Patrick Wall. I'm glad we got to talk about it because. Well, also, uh, the dude's a really good coach. Like, he's not yeah. the same coach as he was when he coached the Abs that, those couple of years. And he's not the same coach that walked out on them. He built an incredible junior program. Like, the Rampart, I mean, they have a lot of resources. So, yes, they should be one of the best. But they are one of the best for a reason. They're really good. Yeah. So, he's a good coach. And I really want to see how that translates. And he is an interesting character. And I think NHL coaching should have interesting characters. And... Tortorella is an interesting character. Paul Maurice, when you talk hockey with him, is an interesting character. And Patrick Waugh can very, very much be an interesting character. And it's good for everyone that he's in a market where there is a spotlight. People care. And we get to watch him learn as a coach. Because the, the best time to have a coach, I guess, is the second time they have a different team. So we'll see if Waugh can get that yeah. done. And then in the news dump of the century, the... The LA Kings fire Todd McClellan. Remember when they won all those games to start the season? Nobody does. Um, that, I mean, they were. I Like, again, I have been riding the Kings bandwagon because I actually really liked what they were doing for a while. And, yeah, no, they, they just tuned out on their, their coach, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, that's what it was. It, they, they looked okay. They were doing well. They are getting some luck on the road. They're putting together a really good road record and you're thinking, okay, that's the coach and everything. But then when things go, things go wrong and the players are saying things that basically you can read in between the lines that they're not happy with the overall way the team's being run. Do you want to know what comment I got from a certain Igor Larionov the second, who one of his friends, Arthur Kaliev plays for the Kings. And he made love this point for him to, me. to play for the Panthers. Kaliev and the Panthers would be very uh, would be very interesting indeed. But you know the comment Igor made because he follows the Kings closely. Obviously, he's like, I gotta go find the DM because Igor and I DM, and Igor is a wonderful person. We we vouch for him obviously all the time on this show. He's been a previous Y Hockey guest. Playing a one three one in the entertainment capital of the world should be a fireable offense on its own. Well done, Igor. I don't think I could put it better than that. Yeah, but I. I think what happens is when you have a situation where things are becoming are unwinding and you have a guy like Drew Doughty making public statements about how things need to get put back into place and get back together and the coach can't get it back together, you, you're going to have to take a side and no doubt whose side they were going to take. And the way Doughty's playing, the way the team, you know, there's a reason they should be taking that side. Uh, I we'll see how the coach. I don't even know Jim Hiller. Jim Hiller. Who? Jim Hiller is. I didn't know who he was, but apparently he he, assistant. He was an assistant. Yes. Funny enough, he's brought in DJ Smith to help him. Which, you know, why the hell not? Yeah. Everybody knows everybody. Apparently, he's a big analytics guy, Jim Hiller. I didn't. I didn't quite know that, but sure. That that's fine. But like for me, it was 
they needed to do they it was put the players put a challenge or some of the leaders put a public challenge to the coaching staff to get it together because that's where they thought that it needed to get together and it didn't get to put together and the general manager and the ownership is saying one thing it's time to come out of the rebuild and they we're traded back for in the Pierre player. Luke Dubois and look and, at how well that's gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it yeah, makes it even again, worse when you think about player. how good the Jets are with it, Kings guys. The, yeah, but that's not on the players, you know. Um, that uh, the that was a bad trade for the Kings. They should not have made that trade. Velarde uh, is is really good. Ayafalo is really good. Together, they're better than. Dubois alone, one of them is probably better than Dubois. I never liked Dubois. I didn't have him highly ranked in the draft. Uh, and because of added, just because, and I didn't think he was a center. I, you know, the way he plays, he's, he, he was forced as a center because Columbus, and now he's a center in the NHL. But I, I just don't see it. I'm not a fan. I think at best he's a third line center. And that's speaking the one of mistake, how much money he's making. Yeah, and that's one mistake the Kings have made. I think other than that, recently Blake and them have done a good job. I think they'll do okay. But with the core, with the way Kopitar and Dowdy are playing, you have to stick with them and you have to pull out this rebuild. The way Byfield's playing, you have to pull oh, out this rebuild. He's been awesome, Byfield, so this year. you, you got to start heading up. They have a lot of defensemen. they got to get Jordan Spence some more time or move Frank on. Clark. Get, I mean, he was in the All-Star game, the AHL All-Star game, I should say. Mm. Uh, and and uh, I think went four for five or four for four with the target shooting. Did very well there. Um, so, you know, they, they have a lot of promise. I think that they should have been the ones to get Patrick Law. I think they should have been the ones to get a Rick, you know. A Rick Tockett. They, that, I think that's the... That's the the critique, and maybe that's why you know Dowdy and Kopitar all of a sudden are making those statements because they see like, all right. Did you did you mention to me that they'd be a good team for Craig Berube, or did somebody else do that? I did. I think okay, you did do that team for Berube because again, the whole thing is they're backing their core of players who are saying we want higher standards, and if you're doing that, bringing in a guy who's recently won a, a Stanley Cup. A guy who is a short window coach is aggressive, is from that conference, who's coached in this conference this year, and is coached this year and wants to coach again. I mean, Berube was saying he doesn't want time off; he wants another job. Let's go. That was his post game, like that was his exit sort of like presser stuff. So, and it kinda, I think he'd be a good you, you fit. You kind of get the sense that he's filling the Rick Tockett role on TNT, where it's like, <laughs> man, I, it's fine. I mean, I might want to. Yeah, I might want to. Give Paul Bissonette a wedgie, but, you know, I just want to go back and coach again. Yeah, with Tockett's success, why not? I mean, they both had the Flyers connections. They both are are heavy guys. They're both demand yellers. They're both guys who demand a lot from their players. Uh, You know, like, and with Speaking of Rick Tockett, we should talk about this trade that the Canucks made. Um, because Lindholm scored two goals for them yesterday. Yeah, um, what's Calgary doing? What is Calgary doing? What it, What do we have to do to save Jonathan Huberdeau and Mackenzie Weger? Uh, trade for them back, I guess. Uh, and at this rate, it's not going to be that expensive. I'm a big Elias Lindholm fan. Shocker. Um, 
I think he's very underrated. I think he sits in be. I think he sits in between what I hope Lindholm, uh, what I hope Lundell becomes, and what Bennett is now. I think is a good way of saying where uh, Lindholm is. Uh, he can play. He can play some wing too. Uh, I think he's a good fit. I thought he he should have been a an Avalanche. If the Abs could have made that trade. I think that they would have been the going away cup favorite, you know, cup favorites. Because doesn't would... it feel like right now, like the East is getting almost entirely written off when it comes to the cup? Like it's all the West at this point? Well, they are because who are the two teams that even look remotely good in the East? It's the Bruins and the Panthers. The, the Bruins Panthers who have are... no centers and the Panthers who just went yes. on a run a year so, ago. So, so they're not going to get any love. Carolina, you know, like, so that, it makes sense, but... Uh, you know, I still think the East is strong. I still think, you know, there's going to be good cup contenders from both sides of the conferences. But, you know, for the Kings, I, I just talk it, talk it's just making it just, and I don't know enough, obviously, to, to see, but I would have gone external i would have taken that message from the players and really gone home with it unless internally they're saying like we we're okay with this guy like this guy sounds like he knows what he's doing and he's being overruled who knows but uh i mean look i didn't think the rick tockett and the vancouver canucks muddling along and not actually rebuilding was going to work and uh they might win the president's trophy so what the heck do i know there yeah but that's not Regular season success is the first step and is not the end goal or really matter. Uh, no, that if is they correct. get bounced in the first round and they don't do well in the first round, no one's going to care in July or August that they were doing so well. Um, yes, and like it's they, Vancouver. I definitely agree with you there. But like uh, the success that they have, like there's a lot of things to say it might not translate well. Speaking uh, you, of teams on PDO vendors, they've they made a trade with Zadorov and they're already trying to trade him out again. Is that really uh, happening? Yes. Um, oh. You know, so like there, there's a lot of signs there where it's like, I, maybe they are going to be as good as the Panthers and everything when this core, but it looks they're still leaky. They're leaky like the pe- President's Trophy. Panthers they're leaky like last year's Panthers in the regular season where they have the big pieces and you can see what they're going for in their structure and everything but like there's decision making there's a lot of there's a lot of lessons to be learned on the ice and off the ice for them I think now I they could have success they could win the cup this year what do I know but uh I don't know if it, how much of this is Tockett versus how much of this is Quinn Hughes turning 24 and entering his prime. How much of this is Demko turning 28, being healthy and being in his prime. Patterson, Patterson being 25, entering his prime in a contract year. How much of this is Ronick, you know, being yes. finally that one partner that Hughes doesn't have to think about and can just play Quinn Hughes hockey. How much of you know, because we already know. Yeah, Besser being, you know, halfway good again. JT Miller but, remembering yeah. how to play hockey. Yeah, but I mean, like, how much of it is that? Like, we know the Panthers can literally be carried while everybody on their team plays bad hockey if four or five guys 
play good hockey if those four or five guys are the best guys. And it seems like that's what Vancouver is doing. It seems like they're on the New Jersey Devils kick of, you, you know, last year where Hughes and their best guys were just always on. And that's how they were playing. This year, they're not on, and they look really bad. It, I think Vancouver could easily look really bad when they're not on uh, next year in the regular season or in the playoffs if they can't push it. Um, and to end on that note, because yeah. part two is becoming, uh, maybe need a part three, and I don't want to subject you to all of that. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers 16-game winning streak ended against the Vegas Golden Knights because, of course, it did. But do you re- you know what's really funny? The last team they lost to was Florida when they weren't playing that well. And then they went on a 16-game bender. Yeah. You remember that game. Like, the Panthers scored three goals in the first period and just whooped them. And that, you're just like, wow, uh, okay. Yeah. And then that Oilers team went on a 16-game rip because, of course, they did. But I wanted to say this just about the West. Like, th- there's a good chance now that Edmonton-Vegas is in the first round. One team you don't like already out of the playoffs. And yeah, you're a big I mean, fan that's of- good. Not your big I, fan I, of both those I, teams. I'm really happy they didn't set the record. I, I, I'm glad. What, like, they're good and everything. You didn't want them to set the but record, like, of very course, clearly. Of, of, like, they are the team where it's not even four or five guys are performing. It's two. Like they've been, it's two. It's two and maybe a goalie and maybe a defend, maybe a defender if not the goalie. But like, and it's it's just like yeah, they can will themselves to do this. But is that hockey? Is Are the Edmonton Oilers actually better? I think they maybe are marginally better. Their new coach seems to not be so lackadaisical when it comes to defensive efforts, and the team seems to be responding to that. But I don't care about the Edmonton Oilers until I have to worry about them as a Stanley Cup opponent. Until then, I don't care. Because here's here's something I don't believe in everything the Edmonton Oilers have been about and are doing. I don't believe in signing the shittiest players. I don't, you know, like Kane and, and Corey Perry and that kind of stuff. I don't believe in the way that they tanked and just the whole thing was, we're going to get star players. We're going to put every, all the pressure on their shoulders and we're going to do nothing else. I don't believe in that. I don't believe that you should just, you know, I, I just don't believe that's how you should build a team. I'm just completely against everything about it. The Edmonton Oilers owner is and, not a great person. And you know that Tommy is not the biggest fan of the Oilers when he's saying, you know what, I'll take the Vegas Golden Knights. Isn't that a great place to end this marathon of two shows we've just yeah. recorded? <laughs> I will take the Arizona, Arizona Coyotes over both of them, though, even with their shitty building. Yep. And on that note, We will have more to come. Hopefully, we don't ever have to do a show that ends up having to be split in two like this ever again. But until then, like, comment, subscribe, rate on iTunes and Spotify. See you on Blue Sky. Good night and good hockey.